things that you would have me to say, Father. And, Lord, just meet with us tonight in your precious name. I pray. Amen. Alright, well, we're there in Acts chapter number 13, and we're going to be, like I said, just looking at the first part of Acts 13, and I don't want to be very long tonight. I just want to point out a few thoughts. But I don't know if you noticed this as we were reading the passage. But in Acts 13, Saul is referred to as Paul for the first time ever in the Bible. And from here on, that's what he will be referred to as. The Apostle Paul. The only time that the name Saul in regards to Paul will come up again is a couple times when he's giving his testimony of when he got saved and he explains how Saul got saved. And he refers to himself as Saul. But from here on, his name is Paul. You say, well, what's, what's the big deal about that? Well, the, the thing with that is in the Bible, a change in name often represents a change in character. A change in person. If you remember, if you've been with us on Sunday nights, as we've been studying the book of Genesis, if you remember when Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord all night long, and we understand that that was God in the flesh, Jesus Christ's appearance in the Old Testament, because the Bible says that he saw God face to face, and we know that's Jesus Christ. But when he wrestled with him, at the end of that, remember that God changed his name from Jacob to Israel, and that represented a change there in in the life of Jacob. And oftentimes in the Bible, uh, a a name change, we'll be able to to see that Abraham's name was changed, and Sarah's name was changed, and Jacob's name was changed, and, and so forth. And now we see here Saul. And it's interesting, if you look at the, the pattern that the chapter takes, you know, I, I like to just study how Saul was transformed uh, into Paul, because we can see the characteristics of his growth. I don't know if you remember, but a couple of weeks ago we preached on the, the, the church of Antioch, and we saw there the development of a church there. And now here we can look at Saul being transformed into Paul, and we can see the development of a Christian, the development. And I'd just like to study that for a few moments, just these 13 verses, and and be able to look at how a new convert, a new Christian, Saul, was transformed into the greatest missionary who ever lived, one of the greatest Christians who ever lived, the Apostle Paul. And I'd like to start in verse 1, the Bible says, Now there was in the church that was in, at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas, and notice what he says. The Bible says, at the church of Antioch, this is the church we've been dealing with the last couple of weeks, there, it says there were certain prophets and teachers. So these are the preachers, these are the pastors, these are the, you know, the, the guys that are coming in and doing all the preaching, the leaders. And the Bible says, they give us a list of these guys, and it says, as Barnabas. And we've, we've kind of got to know Barnabas a, a little bit, we'll get to know him a little more as we go through the book of Acts. But we know that he's kind of pastoring the church of Antioch, and it gives us this list, and it says, as Barnabas, and Simeon, and that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch. And I want you to notice this, at the very end of that list, they give us this list, they say, we've got prophets, we've got teachers, we've got preachers, they give us a list of all these people, and at the end, it just says, and Saul. Just at the end, and Saul. Almost as if he's an afterthought. Almost as if, as if just, you know, they're saying, you know, they're going through and saying, oh, we got these preachers, let me tell you, light up, we got, we got Barnabas, we got this guy, we got that guy, we got, you know, what are their names, we don't even really know their names, because the first time, the only time they're mentioned, is that we got uh, Simon, who, who's called Niger, and Lucius, was Irene, and Manan, and, and Herod, who was brought up with her, oh, and, 
Exile. And this newbie. That's what they use in the Air Force when you first got in the Air Force. That's what they called you. A newbie. You know, and this new guy. And Saul. And you know, Saul was the last person mentioned on the list. And Saul was the least most important person at that time on that list. He was just a new guy. He was just a new convert. He was just an afterthought. They said, and Saul. And here's what you're going to understand. And Saul, that position, is where we all start. When you get saved, we all start just at the bottom of the totem pole. When you get saved, we all start, you know, you know, in our minds, it's just, oh, we're just a new guy. Oh, we're just, I'm not very, you know, sometimes we make excuses, and Saul could have probably made excuses. Well, I'm not very, you know, uh, strong in the faith. I'm kind of new at this thing. I'm not very mature. I'm not whatever. But, you know, Saul eventually, and in this chapter, becomes Paul. Who's, who's the greatest, you know, one of the greatest Christians who ever lived. And, and we can see here different things. You know, wh- uh, let me ask this question. What was Aunt Saul doing that helped him become the great Apostle Paul? Because we all start at, at that position. We all start at Aunt Saul. But see, Aunt Saul is not where God wants you to stay. Aunt Saul is not where God, was not God's plan for Saul's life. When Saul got saved, the Bible tells us that God told him that he had a plan for his life, that he wanted him to preach to kings, and to, and to go to different nations, to preach to Gentiles. So he was going to be a great vessel used of God. And let me tell you something, God is no respecter of person, and the day you got saved, God had a plan for your life, but His plan is not for you to stay at and Saul. He's got something. He wants you to develop. He's got something for you to do. And Saul was developing into Paul. And let's look at, you say, what what was he doing? How was he developing? What was going on there? Look at verse 1. The Bible says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets. I'd like you to see the first thing. You say, well, what, what can I do to get to the next step in my Christian life? You say, I got saved. I'm in, uh, you know, I'm I'm Saul. I'm Aunt Saul. I'm the least. I'm the one at the end of the list. I'm the one that they mention at the end. And I I want to get to that Paul position. And I'm not saying, obviously, that we're all going to be Paul and we're going to be these great missionaries. Paul was obviously used of God. But what I'm saying is that the life of Paul, Paul was fulfilling the will that God had for his life. When Paul died, he wrote to Timothy, he said, I have finished my course. He said, I have ran my race. He said, I fulfilled the will of God in my life. Paul said, I have done what God had for me to do. And that's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. We all need to get to the place where we started from and Saul. And we need to get to that place where we can say, I have finished my course. I have ran my race. I, I have done the will of God. You say, how do I get there? Well, number one, Look at, look at what it says in verse 1. It says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets. What did Saul do to get to Paul? Number one, and I know it's going to seem real basic, but hear me out. He was at church. The Bible says he was at the church in Antioch. And not only was he at church, he wasn't just at any church, he was at the church. I mean, he was at the soul winning powerhouse of that city. He was at the church where people were getting saved, where people were learning the Bible, where the Bible was being preached, where, where the Word of God was being taken and, and, and given to the people in heavy doses, and he was at 
church. The Bible says, now there was in the church that was in Antioch certain prophets, and we could skip that whole list and just go to, and Saul. Saul was at church. And you know, you say, well, that's so basic. I know that. You know, we got to be at church. But here's what you got to understand. I go out soul winning every, every week. Knock on people's door. Get people saved. Get in the gospel. And so often, I'll talk to people and they'll say, my life is in shambles. My life is messed up. I know I need God. I know I need the Bible. I know I need help. I know I need God to help me. The way my life is headed, the way my life is going, is not the way I want it to go. You know, I want God to step in. I want God to help me. And then I'll say, great, God can help you. Can I pick you up for church on Sunday? Well, I don't know about that. I think to myself, you know, do you understand this? If God is going to meet with you at any time during the week, don't you think the high probability of that is at church? When the Word of God is open and expounded upon? I mean, you know, I'll, I'll call people, I'll say, you know, I say, hey, you know, you said you wanted to come to church, you said you wanted to, you know, start over and change your life, you got saved, and, and would you like to come to church? And they're like, oh, well, I got this going on, I got that going on. And, and we make church the least priority in our lives. And then we wonder why nothing changes. You know what I'm saying? Oh, uh, uh, ch- you know, I started going to church, and, 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 you know, I've been going for a year, and, uh, you know, and my life's just the same. It's not working. And then you ask them, well, how, how often do you go to church? Well, you know, I, and people in people's minds, you know, you think you're there every week. If you really kept track of it and put it on a calendar, you'd realize, whoa. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, 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 you know, there's a principle in the Bible, and, and this wasn't even in my notes, but let, let's go to, go with me to James, because I, I preached on this before, so I'm stealing this point from another sermon, but go with me to James, chapter number 2. Let's see if I can find it. I might not even be able to find it right now. I thought it was James 2. But you know, the, the Bible says... I know it's in the book of James somewhere. It says, Draw nigh unto God, and He shall draw nigh unto you. And for some reason, I'm not able to find it right now. Oh, here it is. I'm sorry. James chapter number 4. Look at verse 8. I thought it was James 2 for some reason. James chapter number 4, look at verse number 8. You're there in your new, in your new, towards the end of the New Testament. If you get to 1st, 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd and 3rd John, Jude or Revelation, you've gone too far. James chapter number 4, look at verse number 8. Look at what it says. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your, ho- your hearts, ye double-minded. The Bible says that as we draw nigh to God... He will draw nigh to you. And I'm convinced of this. And I, you know, I think to myself, God is going to take as many steps towards you as you're willing to take towards Him. And so often, you know, it's easy for us to open our mouths and say, God, I need you to help me. God, I need you to be with me. God, I need you to change my life. God, I need you to... And then this is what God says. Okay, you want me to help you? Okay, you want me to change your life? Okay, you want me to, to bless you and be with you and, and help you? He says, I'm going to wait for you to take the first step. And when you take that first step, I'll take a step. He said, draw nigh to God, and I will draw nigh to you. And the problem often is that you say, well, why is it feels like God is not helping me? It's probably because you haven't taken a step. Or you've taken too little of steps. You know, and every time that we have a service, and every time that we open the Word of God, that's one opportunity to take a step towards God. And just say, God, you know what? You said that if I draw nigh to you, you're going to draw nigh to me. And I'm just going to draw nigh and see what happens. And I promise you, 
If you wake up tomorrow morning and you say, God, I'm going to start my day off with prayer, and I'm going to start my day off with reading the Bible, and I'm going to take a step towards you, I can promise you God will take a step towards you. And see, right now you're at ends with God. You're, you feel like God's so far away from you. But every Sunday you take a step towards Him. Every Sunday night you take a step towards Him. Every Wednesday night you take a step towards Him. And, and you start filling in that gap. And all of a sudden you start feeling a whole lot closer to God. And Saul was at one point persecuting the church, but now this new convert is in church. And he's faithful in church. And you, and, and you know, we think, oh, it's a surprise that he became such a great Christian. It's not a surprise. He was just faithful. He was under the preaching God's word and he was able to get help. Not only that, not only was he in church, but look at verse 1, it says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaean which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And look what it says verse 2. And they ministered to the Lord. So number one, he was in church. Number two, he was ministering to the Lord. That word minister there means he served. He was a servant. I'm trying to explain to you how Saul became Paul. Step one, he got to church. He made church a priority. He said, I'm going to be in church. You know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, come what may, I will be in church. And let me tell you something. Church, you know, and, and please understand this. I've only been a pastor for coming up on a year now. But my wife and I were faithful to church for years before. You know, so it's not like, oh, you're the pastor, you have to be there. I mean, when I wasn't the pastor, I was, we were faithful to church. But here's what you got to understand. To be faithful to church, it's going to take a purpose. Like, you're going to have to decide, you're going to have to make a choice. You know, because if you, if somebody taught me this a long time ago, and it was the best advice I ever heard. If you wait, and listen to me, if you wait till Sunday morning, when the alarm clock goes off to decide whether or not you're going to be in church, I'm, I'm telling you right now, more often than not, you won't be in church. That's what's going to happen. You've got to decide. You've just got to make a choice. You know, I remember, uh, when I was a kid growing up, I never woke up on a Sunday morning and asked my dad, are we going to church today? I just knew. Sunday morning, we're in church. I mean, we're just in church. It wasn't up for debate. It wasn't an option. You know, he said, what, what, what happened if you woke up and the, and the, the tire was flat? We changed the tire and went to church. Well, what happened if you woke up and then the window was broken in? That happened to us. You know what we did? We went to church. Well, what happened? You know, we came to church one time. On, uh, you know, we went to church on Sunday morning. Went out to lunch for, you know, in between church. Came home and someone had broken into our house. Broken the door through, went inside, took some of my mom's jewelry, took our microwave, took like a box full of cup of noodles. I don't know why. And, you know, the police came out, did a report, you know. And then... You know, we were just saying, whatever, you know, 5.30 rolled around, my dad said, let's go start getting right to church. You say, well, most people would just be like, oh, someone just broke into your house, you know what I mean? No, it wasn't an option. It wasn't up for debate. We were just going to be there. Period. And it takes that kind of determination, because look, if the devil knows what can keep you from coming to church, he's going to press that button every, every time. I mean, honestly, you don't believe me? Look, if the devil knows that having a flat tire is going to keep you from church, he's going to make sure you have a flat tire every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I mean, and you think I'm joking. The same person will call you. The same person will bother you. The same thing will happen. The same, it will happen like, because as soon as they find out what your weakness is, you'll just expose, you know, expose that. 
That's why you just got to decide. And that's what I like about Saul. Saul was just in the will of God. Saul literally, Paul literally was dragged out of the city, stoned with stones. He just stood back up and just went, you know, died. God resurrected him. And you think, you think, oh, are you going to take a week a break from the ministry? He just got back up and he just went through the other city, just preaching the gospel. Because it's going to take determination. But number two, not only is it going to be about being in church, but it's going to be about ministering in church. Serving the Lord. Doing something. That was in the verse 2, as they minister. The word minister there is talking about a ministry or ministering to somebody. Serving. And, and, and it's going to take more than just coming, you know. It's good at first to just come and just fill the chariot. But after a while, you ought to get involved. You ought to get involved. You say, well, what can I get involved? Well, I can tell you, the number one ministry we got at Verity Baptist Church is this. Soul man. Is going out, preaching the gospel, getting people saved. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. But you know, at some point, you got to get involved in the ministry and in the ministering. And Saul wasn't just in church, but he was in church serving. Look at verse 2 again. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted. Now, I'm not going to take the time to go through it, but if you were here on Sunday morning, maybe you remember we preached on, we did a whole study on the, the Holy Ghost, the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And we looked at a lot of passages on Sunday morning. I mean, I was looking at the sermon earlier today. I preached for an hour and six minutes on the Holy Spirit. Because there's just so much in the Bible to go through. And, uh, you know, you got to get that sermon it's online if you want to listen to it. But, you know, we, we talked there about how you cannot walk in the Spirit while fulfilling the lust of the flesh. The Bible says that you, if you're going to walk in the Spirit, you're going to have to not walk in the flesh. And one of the things that you can do to help not walk in the flesh... Uh, is to fast. Because in order to not walk in the flesh, in, in your sinful man, you got to deny that sinful man. And nothing denies the sinful man more than a fast. Than just not eating. You know, that's what fasting is. Not eating for like 24 hours, or th- you know, 3 days, 7 days. Some people have fasted for 40 days. Jesus fasted for 40 days. Moses fasted for 40 days. I know people today who have fasted 40 days. And look, you know, that's really denying the flesh. And, and, and what Paul was doing here, or Saul was doing, was he was ministering, he was fasting, so we know he was attempting to walk in the Spirit. And look what the Bible says. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work wherein so I have called them. Now, I want you to see something very interesting. You remember Anne Saul, the guy at the end of the list? God recognized him, even though seemingly no one else did. Even though seemingly no one else noticed him, he was an afterthought, he was just at the end of the list. Oh, and by the way, Anne Saul. God saw him. God saw him ministering. God saw him fasting. God saw him faithful at church. And the Holy Ghost said, Hey, separate me Barnabas, who was at the top of the list. Did you notice that? And he said, And Saul, the guy at the end of the list. And I'm sure we were like, Wait, and who? Do you mean Lucius? Do you mean Manaean? No, 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 no. I want the guy at the end, and Saul. It reminds me so much of the story of David. If you remember when Samuel went to anoint you know, to find the new king of Israel. And he went there to the house of Jesse. And he said, bring me your sons. And he brought in all the sons, you know. And as they would walk in, uh, Samuel would say, surely this is it. You know, you see some big, strapping, strong men. Surely this is the one. And the Holy Spirit said, no, that's not it. And then another one would come in and say, surely this is the one. He said, no, that's not it. 
And, and after all, the, the Holy Spirit, you know, all of a sudden, no, 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 no. And then Samuel says to Jesse, is these all your sons? And Jesse says, well, there's one more, the youngest one. He's feeding the flock. He's taking care of the flocks. We didn't really think he'd be the one. I mean, he's just the smallest one, the youngest one. He's just the, you know, we didn't even call him in because we didn't think he'd be the one. So we'll call him in. God calls him in. And then God says, yep, that's the one. And in the passage it says that man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. See, and, and, and Saul, who's just, oh, the last one, oh, you know, the one we never thought about. That's the one that God said, separate me. He said, i got to work for him. A few weeks ago, we had in our bulletin here a quote, and it fits in perfectly with the sermon. The quote said this, Don't worry about what people think. Worry about what God knows. And that's a good quote there. Don't worry about what people think. Worry about what God knows. And we ought to be worried about what God knows. You say, well, people think this about me. People think that about me. People think bad about me. People think, you know, people are going to think whatever they want to think anyway. You know, no, no one's ever going to trust you. No one's ever going to like you. No one's ever going to give you a free pass. I mean, you're, you weren't lucky enough to be born into royalty and into fame and glory. Look, you're going to have to work hard for everything. Hey, just don't worry about what they think. Just, we, we got to worry. See, Saul was not that worried about getting recognized by everybody else, but he was worried about God seeing And God recognized him before seeing that anyone else recognized him. But it's interesting, because if you look at verse 3, the Bible says, and when they had fasted and prayed, and laid their hands on them, that's talking about putting, they put their hands on them and sent them out into the ministry, they sent them away. So it's interesting, when God recognized them, then man recognized them too. Do you see that? So, at first he's just, and Saul. But then when the Holy Spirit says, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, then, then he says, then, then they say, okay, let's lay hands on him. Now they're thinking, oh, now they're taking him serious. You know, and in my, in my flesh sometimes, you know, I, I can get really upset uh, and, and discouraged sometimes when I think about, you know, sometimes people will have disrespect for, like, our church. Or will, will have a very lack of respect for our church because of the way we preach you know, because we preach the Bible in its context and we just say what the Bible says, whether it's popular or not. Or because we meet in a house, or because we go soul winning, or because whatever we do. You know, people think, oh, you guys are, jo- you guys are a joke, you know. You, you guys, that's not going to last. I mean, good night, you know. No one's going to go for that. If you don't rent this really nice building and get a rock band in there and do this and do that, you know, whatever. You didn't go to this Bible college, and you didn't do it this way, and you didn't follow our guidelines, you know. And, and sometimes in my flesh, I get discouraged, you know, because I think, you know, people, people just... You know, sometimes people look at us and they're like, you're a joke. And it's funny because the people that come here don't think it's a joke. You know, people come here and they get to preaching God's word and they're like, and they're like, man, God's, you know, God's meeting with me. You know, God's showing me. But these other people who are just all about, you know, the show and the image, which obviously is not spiritual at all. But, you know, sometimes I can let, you know, you can allow that to bother you. But then you got to just think to yourself, you know what? It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It just matters what God thinks. It doesn't matter who cares? And Saul was just trying to survive. Look at verse number uh, 4. Well, actually, skip down to verse 8. We'll look at verse... Or skip down to verse 9. We'll look at verse 4 again, but just skip down to verse 9 quickly. I want you to see the next step in his, in his, in his Christian walk. So he started off as and Saul, the afterthought. But in verse 9 it says, Then Saul... And notice what it says in parentheses. Who also is called Paul. Now, this is interesting. He's not Paul yet. He's somewhere between Saul and Paul. 
In fact, they don't really know what they call. And the way they refer to him is and Saul, who's also Paul. You see that? And Saul, comma, who also was called Paul in parentheses. You see that? See, first there comes the step of I'm a new Christian. What do I do? Here's what you do: you get in church, you serve in church, you you know deny the flesh, fast a little, pray a little. You say, well, what do I do next? How do I get from that new convert to Paul? Well, you got to transition from that new convert to that next step, that next thing that God wants you to do. Let's look at what He did. Look at verse 4. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus, and they were in Salamis. Look what it says. Verse 5. They preached the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. The, you know, the, if, if you're going to get to the next step in your Christian life, there's no way around it, I'm just telling you right now, to transition to the next step in your Christian life, you're going to have to be a soul You're going to be have, you're going to have to be the Christian who preaches the Word of God to other people. That's the next step. There's no way around it. There's two types of Christians in this world. Those who win souls and those who don't. There's two types of Christians in this world. Those who produce and those who just take in. And if you're in the step where you just come to church, you listen to the preaching and you're just taking in, hey look, praise the Lord. Good. I'm glad. I want you to just go. But look, we don't, you know, oftentimes we equate this to eating. You know, we're, we're feeding you a spiritual meal. And you know what happens to someone who just eats all day and never does anything, no activity? You know what happens to them? They just get fat. They get fat and unhealthy and inactive. You know, you can't just consume all day. You got to get up and you got to do something. You got to go to work. You got to exercise. You got to raise your kids. You got to do something. And it's the same way in the Christian life. You know, sometimes people, oh, I'm, I'm just going to read the Bible all day. I'm going to pray every day. Praise the Lord. Do that. Come to all the services. Learn it all. But if you never take that and do something with it, you just become this spiritual, obese, unhealthy, doing nothing. You see what I'm saying? I, 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 you know, don't, don't take the analogy the wrong way. I'm just saying, we've got to do something. And Saul transitioned to Paul by getting out. And here's what he was doing. Preaching. So they being sent forth, verse, uh, I'm sorry, verse 5, and when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God. You've got to get to the place where you, as an individual, can take the Bible, not from somebody's door, say, hey, can I show you how to be saved? Can I show you how you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven when you die? Can I show you what the Bible says about salvation? And then you can take what you learned. You can take what you were taught at church, what you were taught at, at soul meetings or whatever, when you, what you were taught, and then you can take that and show it to someone else. And when you preach God's word, that's the next step. And let me tell you something. In the Christian life, you will never, you will never get that next step if you never get to the place where you're taking God's word and you're ministering to the others. I'm not talking about ministering in the sense like, oh, I want to clean the church house and I want to, hey, praise the Lord for that. Do whatever you want. You know, do all the different things. I need people to make preaching cities. I need people to post sermons. I need people to do lots of stuff because I, I can't get to it all at once. You know, I, I got too many things to do. But you know, that's not spiritual. Making CDs is not spiritual. I mean, we're going to hire an unsafe person to do that. But taking God's word and preaching it to an unbeliever, that's very spiritual. You know, and, and we've got a goal here of knocking at every door in Sacramento, so we've got our work cut out for us, and we need as many soul winners as we can get. 
And you know, soul winning is for everybody. Like, go with me to Philippians chapter number 4. There in your New Testament. You're there in Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter number 4. Look at verse number 3. Philippians chapter number 4. Look at verse number 3. Sometimes we get this idea. Oh, well, soul winning's for the pastor. I'm going to bring my friends and bring them to church and he'll get them saved. And look, you bring your friends to church and I will try to get them saved. But look at what Paul said in Philippians chapter number 4 and look at verse 3. He said, and I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow. Look what he said. Help those women which labored with me in the nursery. Is that what he said? Which labored with me in the kitchen. Is that what he said? Which labored with me in uh, making bulletins or helping me with the seed. And look, praise the Lord for all of that. I'm not disqualifying it. You know, praise the Lord if you... If you help in any way, praise the Lord. But look what he says. He says, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. With Clement also and with other, my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. He said, I want you to thank those women who went out there and they just labored with me in what? In the gospel. In preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In preaching the death, burial, and resurrection and the salvation and the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who labored with me in the gospel. He said, who labored with you, Paul, in the gospel? He said, the women. Are you sure it wasn't this great preacher and this great pastor? And no, he said, the, the ladies of the church, they were out there winning souls, getting people saved. Hey, praise the Lord for them. It's for everybody. It's not just for, oh, well, have you been called? No, it's, it's, the Bible says, go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. That's a command to every Christian. God has commanded every Christian to get out there. And if you neglect that, you'll never fulfill the will of God for your life because the moment you got saved, think about this. If you got, when you got saved, why didn't God just kill you at that moment and take you to heaven? Why leave you behind? He left you behind because He wants you to go get somebody else saved. You know, it's like you're, you're returning the favor. Someone gave me the gospel. My dad gave me the gospel when I was four years old and I accepted Jesus Christ. And now it's my job to take that gift and pass it on to as many people as possible. Look at verse number 6. Say, so how do I go from Saul to Paul? Saul, who also is called Paul. Look at verse 6. And when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul, and desired to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. You say, how do I go from Saul to Paul? Number one, you've got to be a soul winner. You've got to be preaching God's word. Number two, when you start finding opposition. Paul, you know, think about this. Paul in his first, is in his first missionary journey. And this is his first, I don't know if you understood that, but this is his first missionary trip. He's on his first mission trip, out preaching the gospel, getting people saved. And this guy says, hey, Barnabas and Saul, c- come over here and preach the gospel to me. And as they're going, the Bible says this man withstood them. He was opposition. He was fighting against them. He was trying to keep them down. Let me tell you something. In your Christian life, if you're going to get to the next step, there is going to be opposition. You're going to have to learn to just embrace it, fight it, and move on. There's going to be people who are going to try to keep you from church. There's going to be people who are going to try to keep you from Bible reading. You're going to sit down to read your Bible. 
you know, the kids are going to be good. All morning long, they're good. As soon as you sit down and read your Bible, they need everything. I need it all. You know, I'm hungry, I'm tired, and I need a bath. All at the same time. I mean, you just blink and they're muddy. You're like, we're even outside. What happened? That's how it works. That's how it works. There's going to be opposition. You, I mean, you're going to go all week long. Monday, you're bored. Tuesday, you're bored. Nothing to do. Wednesday, just right around 7, you got 15 missed calls. So-and-so needs you here. So-and-so needs you there. It's how it works. There will be opposition. Look at, go with me to Matthew chapter number 4. Look at verse 1. Matthew chapter number 4. Look at verse 1. Matthew, very first book in the New Testament, chapter number 4. Actually, look at verse number 16. In, in, in chapter 3, the chapter before that. Matthew chapter number 3, look at verse number 16. Matthew chapter number 3, look at verse number 16. Jesus, at this, in this context, Jesus just came out in His public ministry. He got baptized, He's starting His public ministry, verse 16, Bible says, And Jesus, when He was baptized, went up straight out of the water. Amen. He didn't get sprinkled. He went down into the water and came up out of the water. And lo, the heavens were open and unto Him, and He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon Him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is My beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus, starting His ministry, getting baptized. I mean, He got baptized, Spirit of the Lord came down, a voice from heaven said, This is My beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. I mean, things are going. He's getting ready to get in that thing. John has already been preparing for all. John's drawing crowds, and John is out pointing to Jesus, saying, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. And Jesus is just ready to just tear it up. Right? Look at verse 4. What's he do? I mean, he's in a spiritual high, right? Verse 4. Then was Jesus led of, up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Now, oh, wait, what? I mean, I just got, he just got baptized. John just declared him to a multitude of people that this is the Lamb of God. He's ready. And then, but notice, it wasn't, it was God. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit. The Spirit of God led him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And then we find that, we won't read the take time to read it, but the devil comes and tempts him. You know, Jesus, that's where he fasted for 40 days. And the devil comes to him after 40 days of not eating. He says, if you're really God, make your stones into bread. You say, well, why is that? That's how it works. I don't know why God does it that way. But the moment you start getting right, the moment you start doing right, the Holy Spirit comes down in your life, and you start getting filled with the Spirit of God, you start doing the things that God wants you to do, the first thing that Spirit's going to do, He's going to let you right to the devil. So what happened to Jesus, that's what's going to happen to you. And I believe God does it because He wants to see how serious you are. It's easy to say, God, I want your power, God, I want your help. But then He says, okay, draw nigh to God. And I'll dry nine to you. So the first thing, the first thing that happens in Jesus' ministry after his baptism, he has to meet the devil face to face. Confrontation. Opposition. But here's what you gotta understand. Opposition is a good thing. When God sends opposition your way, he's trying to help you. Go back to Acts 13. He's trying to help make you better. He's trying to help make you stronger. He's trying to help make you in your next step. So I want you to see the last part of verse number 1. It says, and Saul. He's just an afterthought. First part of verse 9, it says, then Saul, who also is called Paul. He's just in that transition. They're saying, man, I look at your life and 
You look like Saul, but at the same time you look like Paul. That's a good place to be for a new Christian. I like that. I, you know, I want people to look at you and say, man, you know, it's like, I see your old man, but I also see a new man. I see your Saul and your Paul. Hey, that's a good thing. Praise the Lord. You're starting to transition. You're starting to change. Look at verse 13, though. This is where you want to be. Isn't this interesting? Verse 1, and Saul, at the end of the list. Verse 9, Saul, who is also Paul. Verse 13, look what it says. Now Paul and his company. You see that? Now Paul is running the show. At first, it was like, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, and Saul. Now they don't even mention the other guys. It's Saul and his company. Saul and his boys. Saul and his help. Did you see that? Isn't that amazing? I mean, throughout the entire chapter, it's like, and Saul, Saul, who's also Paul, and then it's like, Paul and his company. He's the leader. He's charging the path. He's leading the way. He's the spiritual guy. He's preaching the gospel. He's getting people to say, how do you get there? Look what it says in verse 10. Well, actually, look at verse 9. Look at the last part of verse 9. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, look what it says, filled with the Holy Ghost. We preached on that on Sunday morning. How do you get filled with the Holy Ghost? I think fasting has something to do with it, denying that flesh. Said, set his eyes on him, remember the guy, the opposition, and said, O fool of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, will thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? Now, don't just read that verse. Don't, don't just read that verse and, and don't think about it. Verse 9, the Bible says that he was filled with the Holy Ghost. That means he was right with God. That means the Holy Ghost was leading him. And look what he said. O full of all subtlety and all mischief. He's talking to somebody. Thou child of the devil... Thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? You say, what is that? That seems kind of rude, doesn't it? That seems kind of... Why, why is he saying that? Well, here's what you're going to understand. A preacher who's filled with the Spirit does not mince words. Go with me to Micah in the, in the Old Testament. Real quickly, we're almost done, I promise. Micah in the Old Testament, if you can find those small prophetic books at towards the end of your Bible. Micah. Micah. You got Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. Then you got Zechariah before Malachi. And then you got Haggai, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Nahum. And then right before Nahum you got Micah. Micah. Chapter number 3. Look at verse number 8. Micah, chapter number 3, look at verse number 8. The Bible says, But truly, I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord, and of judgment, and of might, look what it says, to declare unto Jacob his transgression, and to Israel his sin. You know what that tells me? Someone who is full of power by the Spirit of the Lord, when they stand up to preach, they're going to declare transgression and they're going to declare sin. Sometimes people come here and they listen to sermons that we preach and they think, oh, you're, you're, that's too mean. You know, you're getting on this sin and that sin. You're telling me I'm doing this bad. I had somebody quit this church. They say, I don't like your church because every time I come to your church, I, I, it's so, I feel something negative. I feel like I'm always doing something wrong. It's like, well, maybe you're doing something wrong. <laughs> but see, that goes against our mentality. Joel Osteen, who's one of the most popular preachers in America right now, has the largest church in America, 
I heard Joel Osteen say this with my own ears. He said this. I never use the word sin or hell behind the pulpit. When I preach, I never talk about sin. Now hold on a second. And you say, you shouldn't be talking about Joel Osteen. Well look, Paul, read, read Romans, read 1 Timothy, read the letters of Paul. He's calling out preachers all the time. And when they put themselves out on television and put themselves out to, to help people, you know, they put themselves in that position. And let me tell you something. When Joel Osteen stands up and says, I do not preach negative things. I don't preach against sin. I don't tell people they're doing anything wrong. I just try to encourage them and love them and, and, and try to just help them out. Like, look, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for... I, I try to do that. I try to preach sermons that encourage and love or whatever. But when somebody says, I don't preach on sin, you know what that's telling me? They're not filled with the Spirit. Because the Bible says in verse 8 of Micah chapter number 3, But truly I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord, and of judgment, and of might, to declare unto Jacob his transgression... And to Israel his sin. And the Bible says if you're going to be filled with the Spirit of God, you're going to stand up, you're going to preach against sin, you're going to preach against transgression, you say that's going to hurt people's feelings, that's going to make people mad, that's going to make people quit, it doesn't matter. If you're filled with the Spirit of God, you're going to preach God's Word. And Paul, in verse 13, the Bible says, in chapter 13, says he was filled with the Spirit of God. And the next verse, he's ripping this guy apart, saying, Now child of the devil. And why? Because look, our society... It's so messed up. Sometimes you need to come to church and have somebody yell at you. And tell you to just quit being lazy and get to church. And quit being lazy and get in your Bible. And quit being lazy and pray. And quit being lazy and quit sinning and quit doing wrong. And get right with God. Sometimes we need that. The Spirit of God does that. And you say, well, I don't like that preaching. I like this church. Because every time I go there, they just talk about how Jesus loves me. Hey, look, Jesus loves me. Praise the Lord. But, you know, we talked about this before. You can't love roses without hating weeds. And you can't love Jesus Christ without hating sin. And if you say, well, I don't preach against sin, then you don't love Jesus. And I don't preach, I don't tell people they got to keep His commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, I don't preach commandments. I don't preach legalism. I don't, look, we don't have any rules at our church. But we're going to preach the laws of God. Because the Bible says, if you, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Notice when Jesus said that, he didn't just assume he loved him. Now the Bible assumes that he loves us. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. We can we he he we just the Bible takes it for granted that God loves us, but he doesn't assume you love him. He says, if you love me. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. He makes you prove it. So he is filled with the spirit, he's preaching hard. I mean, look at that. Could you imagine if I went up to to some Brand new visitor on Sunday morning. And obviously, I'd never do this. And I just said to them, Oh, full of all subtlety and all, subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil. I mean, wouldn't that be crazy? Thou enemy of all righteousness, will thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? But that was Paul. So I wish we had an Apostle Paul. You might not want to go to Apostle Paul at Baptist Church. And now behold, look at this. The hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. And we're going we're gonna to end there, but let me just say this. Verse 11. He says, Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind. In the very next verse, God did it. You know something amazing about Paul? is that he had such a walk with God that he could say to somebody, you're going to be blind, and God would honor that. 
I won't take the time to go there, but in Acts 19, there's this... Paul is healing people left and right, doing all sorts of miracles, doing all sorts of great things. People come behind him and they try to follow what he's doing. And they go, they go to this devil and they try to cast out the devil. And you know what the devil says to them? He says, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? You know, and I hate to be that guy in my Christian walk. You know, I want, you say, you want the devil to, I want the devil to know Verity Baptist Church. I want God to know Verity Baptist I want the devil to know, hey, the Verity Baptist Church is doing something. They're, they're getting people saved, and they're getting people baptized, and they're doing, and they're going forward. I want them to know who we are. I don't want, you know, one day for me to confront the devil, and, and you know, say, yeah, you know, preach against the devil. And the devil's going to be like, Verity who? Pastor who? I don't know you. I know Jesus. I know Paul. You know, but here's how you get noticed. You do something. You accomplish something. You fight a battle. You win a battle. You get people saved. You preach the gospel. Saul was noticed by God because he was doing something. He was accomplishing something. In verse 12, Paul says, Then the deputy, when he saw that was was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. So not only did, was he, did he have power with God, but he got results. People were getting saved. And then the very next verse says, Now when Paul and his, com- and his company lose from Paphos. I mean, we went there 12 verses. We went from and Saul at the end of a list in Afterthought all the way to Paul and his company running the show. Obviously God was running the show. But he was the main guy. And let me just, let me just share with you one more verse. We'll be done. Go back with me to Philippians. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians... Ephesians, Philippians chapter number 3. God's will is not that you stay at and Saul status. He wants you to transition from and Saul to Saul, who is also called Paul, and eventually to just be Paul. And, I, and please understand what we're saying by that. To be what God has desired for your life. God's will for Saul's life is to be the Apostle Paul. God has a will for your life. But if you look at Philippians chapter number 3, look at verse number 13. Philippians 3.13, Paul said this. The Apostle Paul said this. One of the greatest Christians who ever lived. said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, that's Saul, and reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. You know what he was saying? There's never room to stop. There's never place to stop. There's never. You've never grown too much. You've never learned too much. The Apostle Paul, who... If, I mean, we owe our salvation as Gentiles to the Apostle Paul. He brought the gospel to... He was probably the man most used of God to get the most people saved. Started churches all over the world. Did, did great things for God. Wrote most of the New Testament. And he said this, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. You know what he said? He said, I've got more growth I can do. Say, well, you're, you're the Apostle Paul. Yeah, but I, I don't count myself to have a brand. He said, I press toward the mark. And, and there's no room to stop. we got to just keep going. Never quit growing. Just always be trying to get to that next step, that next step, that next step. But you got to get from Saul to Paul. How Saul became Paul. Uh, great verses there in Acts chapter number 13. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, so much for